0: on this edition of the Iowa Business Report.
1: It's not currently a regulated chemical, but in the future, you know, it's going to be regulated.
0: Being environmentally conscious is not just good policy, it's good business. A Biden administration official says despite more than doubling the number of agents, the IRS will actually do fewer random audits going forward. And in our business profile, we'll hear about a bank that has expanded into Iowa while expanding one of its specialty services. This is the Iowa Business Report for Labor Day Weekend 2022.
1: The Iowa Business Report is a copyrighted production of Totally Iowa Media, which is solely responsible for its content. For more, click on the radio programs button at totallyiowa.com. Here is Jeff Stein.
0: One of the roles of the Iowa Waste Reduction Center is to help rural communities gain the knowledge they need to reduce waste and improve quality of life. One of the current programs is a series of free community training workshops. They've been held throughout the Midwest this summer, concluding with a final trio of sessions later this month. Two are in Iowa. Jennifer Trent is a program manager with the Iowa Waste Reduction Center. You and I have spoken before about various workshops that IWRC has been involved in, and you've been doing some community training workshops. The final few are coming up in the month of September. Talk, first of all, about what they are and who helps you to make these possible.
1: We are having three workshops coming up in Shelbyville, Illinois, Cherokee, Iowa, and Tama, Iowa, and the workshops are going to delve into composting, recycling, and PFAS, per alkyl substances, which is an emerging contaminant. And what we're going to do is we're going to provide hands-on compost training where people learn how to gauge the health of their compost, and they learn how to conduct some field exercises to do just that. So we will be getting our hands dirty, and then we'll delve into the community's recycling initiatives, how to potentially make them more robust, and then take a look at both composting and recycling infrastructure in each community we'll be in and have a robust discussion about that and and go over some training materials. And then towards the end of the two hours that we're going to be in each community, we're going to delve into PFAS what the U.S. EPA is doing, what the state is doing when it comes to PFAS and the health effects where contamination comes from, just so people are aware and can make better choices when it comes to purchasing products and trying to avoid PFAS.
0: What is unique about that particular contaminant? Is it because it's new and developing or it has different impact on the environment? What is it that warrants a special slice, if you will, focused on that.
1: PFOS is a forever chemical. And so when PFOS breaks down a little bit, it breaks down into just as toxic, different types of PFOS. There are over 5,000 different unique kinds of PFOS. You can find PFOS in firefighting foam, stain-guarded fabrics, waterproof fabrics, cosmetics, PFAS is in a lot of materials, including food packaging. And when these materials end up in our landfill, they break down, the chemicals break down when you throw like food packaging or anything made with PFAS in the landfill, it breaks down. And then that landfill leachate becomes toxic leaches into the groundwater, ends up in some of our water supply. And there's a lot of health impacts that PFOS has been attributed to, including fertility problems, fetal problems, liver issues, you know, because as your liver tries to clean toxins out of your body, that PFOS bioaccumulates into your body, ADHD, neurological problems. So EPA is doing research on PFOS currently. It's not currently a regulated mm-hmm. chemical. But in the future, you know, it's going to be regulated. Some states are doing much more robust things than the EPA currently when it comes to taking a look and testing water supplies and landfills for contamination so that that can help drive the regulatory process in the future.
0: How is it that the communities that you have visited and will be visiting, how is it that they were selected?
1: Well, we did a GIS analysis of communities in South Dakota, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Illinois, Missouri, and Iowa. And we took a look at communities that had low population uh, of 5,500 or less and exhibited a need for some outreach. Because when we take a look at these communities, a lot of times there is no one working within the community towards initiatives like this. And we have the expertise to do it. We also looked at opportunity zones, areas that we thought could benefit from our services. And of course, our services are free. The project is funded through Rural Utility Services of the United States Department of Ag.
0: Now, who should be interested in attending? There's a wide variety of people who could benefit from the knowledge. Some might not be as a parent. So, for example, uh, businesses. Uh, why is it that somebody involved in business or community economic development. Why is this of interest to them?
1: You know, a lot of times it boils down to a sustainable ideology within your business model. So let's say you're a restaurant or a grocery store and and you have food that's going in the garbage. You know, if you learn to compost it, you can implement some kind of a composting system or you can purchase a composting service from a provider but it actually is just a great idea because food waste in landfills generates greenhouse gases, it can be um, expensive to dispose of. And then there's always food that can be donated. So we, we touch on all of those. Any business that's interested in composting food waste can learn how to municipalities, communities, cities that collect yard waste from the residents within the community and are interested in setting up a compost site, we can help them with that. Basically, Anyone in the community that's interested in diverting food waste from the landfill will find value in learning how to compost. Same with recycling. Some of the communities that we've been in have a location set up where people can drop off their recycling. Some of them have curbside. And so we like to have just a discussion about the infrastructure. What would the residents like to see in the community and how to reach some of the goals that they're talking about? When we go into these, we invite the recycling coordinators, or the the transfer station landfills to talk about recycling. Some of their problems are contamination, we want them to talk about that. So residents are more aware of what's allowed and what's allowed. And then we also like to talk about in these communities when it comes to recycling, the costs, and where we can improve, how can we increase participation.
0: Now, you have these final three coming up in Shelbyville, Illinois, Tama, and Cherokee in Iowa. If someone is not near one of those locations or is not able to make it, what resources are generally available, either through contacting your offices or going online?
1: Number one, if you want to attend one of these free workshop trainings, uh, just hop on our website. It's IWRC.org and register and then uh, we'll see you on those dates. But if you can't attend, you can always contact me at jennifer.trent at uni.edu, or hop on our website and fill out the contact us form. We offer free services to address food waste. We look at all levels of the EPA food recovery hierarchy to help implement strategies. We also work with municipalities, communities, businesses, institutions, on pollution prevention initiatives as well as you know how to better create a more robust recycling program and then we also take a look at emerging contaminants and follow what's going on with in the regulation world with those and so if you have any concerns or things you want to discuss or ideas we'd be happy to help
0: jennifer trent program manager with the iowa waste reduction center Online at IWRC.org. We spoke via Zoom on Wednesday, August 31st. Remaining workshops in Iowa include a session in Tama on Monday, September 19th, and in Cherokee on Wednesday, September 21st. Again, for more information or to register for the free workshops, go to IWRC.org. We note that material in the workshops is based upon work supported under a grant by the Rural Utility Service, a division of the United States Department of Agriculture. Any opinions, findings, and conclusions or recommendations expressed in the workshops are solely the responsibility of the presenters and do not necessarily represent the official views of the Rural Utility Service. Still to come, a more selective tax audit system and we will tell you about a family-owned bank that continues to grow. You're listening to the Iowa Business Report.
2: Are you experiencing Farm FOMO? It's the fear of missing out on opportunities to make every soybean acre you farm more profitable. Luckily, FOMO is easy to overcome. Just tap into your Iowa Soybean Association benefits courtesy of the Soybean Checkoff. Be among the first to receive agronomic research results Timely soy news, producer education invites, and so much more. Connect today at IAsoybeans.com.
0: The Iowa Business Report is presented by Advance Iowa, providing business solutions and support to small to medium sized businesses. Let's work together. More at AdvanceIowa.com and search for Advance Iowa on LinkedIn and Facebook. The Inflation Reduction Act provided for more than doubling the number of IRS agents, and that has caused some concern among business owners about more audits taking place. But Natasha Sarin, U.S. Treasury Counselor for Tax Policy and Implementation, told me the move will have a very different result
2: it is actually going to be less pronounced going forward. The Secretary's been very clear about these additional resources, and she actually directed the IRS last week that any additional resources that came from the Inflation Reduction Act will not be used to increase audits relative to recent years on any small business or on anyone who makes under $400,000 a year. So then why did I say that the likelihood of being audited is going to go down for these taxpayers? It's because today the IRS isn't able to use the data that it has to evaluate whether I am an honest taxpayer or I'm a suspect taxpayer who is likely to be evading. That means that when it does enforcement activity in meaningful ways, it's like shooting in the dark. It's like not taking full account of the information that it knows or that it has be able to make choices about who to enforce against.
0: Coming up, building a customer base through trust, literally. You're listening to the Iowa Business Report. With the return of college football, don't miss the cover story in the September-October issue of Iowa History Journal about gridiron legends Jack Trice and Duke Slater. Also, read how tent shows reign supreme how a Waterloo business helped make donuts popular, and how an Iowan walked across the state and earned a seat in the Senate. Get your copy of Iowa History Journal at Barnes and Noble, Walmart, Hy-Vee, Fairway, and iowahistoryjournal.com. Support for the Iowa Business Report comes from the Iowa Business Council, a nonpartisan nonprofit organization working to elevate Iowa's economy through leadership, research, and advocacy. Learn more and review the annual competitive dashboard data by going to iowabusinesscouncil.org. In our business profile, we'll introduce you to Security National Bank of Omaha, While based there, they have expanded to not only include branches in Iowa, but Texas as well. John Jacobson is a bank vice president and director of Iowa Trust Administration and Wealth Management. Security National Bank of
3: Omaha, as I always say, because across the country there are numerous first national banks and security national banks, and many banks have some similar monikers, but this is Security National Bank of Omaha, Although the good news is we're now also in Iowa. As a matter of fact, one of my arms is Security National Trust of Iowa, where I headquarter out of the Jordan Creek branch and our standalone new branch there with Iowa employees. But we're a multi-generational, well into our third generation of ownership, the Landon family out of Omaha, Jim and CL. Folks from my generation still active, but a younger generation firmly ensconced, as well as their grandfather, who founded the bank, the late, great Mickey Landon. So we've got some really good continuity here, Jeff. The good news about it is this is not a huge mega national bank, not like Chase or Citi or U.S. Bank or Wells, but it's far more than a small community bank. I'll just use rounded numbers, but you know, on the deposit side, we're between $1.5 to $2 billion of deposits, and of course, on the trust fiduciary side, although those assets are segregated and protected by their very nature as fiduciary assets aren't allowed to be carried on the bank balance sheet, we're at $1.7 billion in assets on the trust side. And so this is a large enterprise, a couple hundred employees, including a couple dozen in the trust area. And now we have expanded twice into Iowa, Council Bluffs, and now at Jordan Creek and Des Moines with new uh, center in Dallas, Texas. So we're, we're really branching out in many ways, literally, and of course, digitally as well.
0: It would make sense for an Omaha business to expand into council bluffs and vice versa, but to extend all the way to Des Moines and, as you noted, to Dallas, Texas, that certainly shows the desire to have a broader footprint in the Midwest.
3: Precisely, Jeff. And I think part of the reason for that is in the trust and estate state administration area, the fiduciary end of the bank, we're seeing regionally and nationally a reluctance of banks that have chartered trust powers to utilize them because of what's really a draconian regulatory environment and also just because of efficiencies of scale. Small banks, small community banks throughout Iowa largely cannot do the type of work that involves a trust. And so based on that, we're really stepping into the breach. The judges in Iowa were very delighted when we came in. They've been very encouraging for us to do this because we're one of the few remaining, what I would call traditional trust departments. Many of the trust departments today essentially want to be stock and bond selectors and maintainers for clients running investment management agency accounts. But Jeff, we do a lot of the work Where there's litigation between family members, somebody has to step in there and keep businesses running, be an impartial referee, make distributions fairly in contentious cases. Also, for people that have severe injuries or severe physical or cognitive nature, we do a lot of work, even as conservators, as executors, to help them. And also, as you know, Jeff, this intergenerational transfer of wealth that is going on like never before, along with generally longer life expectancies, bodes for a lot of people that have mental cognition issues. Certainly, they can't engage in all their daily transactions of making sure their investment income accrues, paying all their bills, doing all their taxes. And we can step in there for folks that can't do that anymore in their 70s or 80s or don't want to do it anymore. And we step in there, oftentimes folks with even dementia, or other cognitive issues. And frankly, what we do is we also step in as trustees for these folks, or court-appointed conservators, to protect people from predators. There are predatory suitors for widows and widowers. There are predatory family members that try to use undue influence. You know, it goes back to our law school days, Jeff, where in trust and estates, there's always that, what's a valid contract? There's There's oftentimes fraud being perpetrated against these folks. Threats of injury, undue influence. We're able to come into these situations, protect them sometimes from their own family members, not to mention the uh, punitive creditors that will try to tell somebody in a vulnerable state, you need a new roof, write the checkout today. You know, you need all new siding, write the checkout today. We're there as a vanguard to really protect people. And also, we have to do a good job of maintaining, preserving, and growing responsibly those assets. You know, we're in a very volatile market right now. We can't spend people's money like a 25-year-old broker on Wall Street. We've got to keep preservation of capital with some decent uh, income streams coming in, but we have to do that responsibly, and we have to do that, frankly, better than the next person because we've got to both maintain the principle but grow the interest for these folks.
0: Why do you suppose there are not as many institutions such as yours, who have maintained the quote-unquote traditional trust department. I know many financial institutions, they have their investment centers as part of it. Exactly. How is it that we got away from the more traditional role that you're describing that Security National Bank of Omaha is employing throughout the state of Iowa, through that office in Des Moines, how is it that there was this gap all of a sudden?
3: The big barrier is that the regulatory environment has been punitive, both at the level of the OCC, the FDIC, and state divisions of banking. For small, rural community banks, they simply can't afford the overhead it it takes to run that in a regulatorily compliant way with the savvy of investment advice and hiring attorneys that can go to court and uh, do this for the judges. A bank like ours is perfectly situated I still make house calls. I still take the phone call at midnight on Saturdays and Sundays. You know, they need that type of individual help, fleet of foot decisions that can be made literally within an hour or two where you're not getting a 800 number from a huge bank, but to have an in-house group of two dozen people with the attorneys, with the CFAs, with the regulatory compliance people, the operations people make it all work.
0: John Jacobson, vice president and Director of Iowa Trust Administration and Wealth Management for Security National Bank of Omaha, online at snbconnect.com. We connected via Zoom on Thursday, September 1st. And that brings us to the close of this week's program. We're back again next week at this same time. In the meantime, you can listen to all or part of today's program, by going to TotallyIowa.com and clicking on the Radio Programs link. We're also found on all the major podcast distributors, 19 now in all. The Iowa Business Report is presented by Advance Iowa, providing business solutions and support to small and medium-sized businesses. Let's work together. More at AdvanceIowa.com and search for Advance Iowa on LinkedIn and Facebook. We welcome your comments. Send them by email to radio at totallyiowa.com. I'm Jeff Stein. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you have a safe Labor Day weekend and a prosperous week ahead.